I was classic, took all-nighters as a badge of honor, right? As a kind of pride point. It was like, oh, I'm, I'm, this is how resilient I am in a sense. When really I was not efficient at all with my time. And I had friends that were doing really well that would go home and sleep. <laughs> and they did really well for themselves, but I really thought of it something else. And yeah, I think it's a story that we need to sort of stop telling. And I, I would really love to see more conversations in academia move away, move more into less this kind of like promoting masochistic narratives in a sense and really promoting ownership mentality that like you actually should be in control of your own productivity. You should be in control of like the outcomes. Welcome to our Roundtable Chats, a fast-paced discussion series dedicated to opening up the conversation in the architecture and engineering industry. We want you to join in the conversation each week where we share what inspires us, what we want to improve in the industry, and how we can help each other get there. This is a new event, and we'll be joined weekly by members of the Monograph growth team here. Everyone on the Roundtable today studied and practiced in the industry, so we're very aware of the pain points and stressors that come with working in the industry. Today, it's really cool. We're actually joined by a big portion of the marketing team here. Joanne Louie, Sylvia Lee, and Chris Morgan from the team here. We're going to be discussing this new article that Joanne just dropped, but she was supported by Jasmine Huang, who's a great collaborator with us on a lot of this content. And it's the State of Burnout in Architecture Report. We received 255 responses from architects across all job levels, from designers to firm owners. I think we posted the link in the comments to that. As I mentioned, this will be a little bit different. So for those just tuning in, feel free to jump in in the chat, Q&A, and we're going to just like pick them up as it goes along, right? So it's almost like a, a call-in session here. One thing to note is about 35% of the employees at Monograph come from our background in architecture, and everyone that you're talking to today or listening to today has worked in the industry in some capacity. So we're very aware of the pain points. Our friends are also still working in the industry, right? I mean, we come from that culture. And so we're all going to give ourselves a little brief intro. I'll go first. I'm George. I'm head of marketing here. And my background is in landscape architecture and architecture. I've worked at several different firms like Architectonica Geo in Miami, Moss in New York, The Living in New York. And uh, yeah. Excited. Chris, how about you? Well, uh, if you've been a part of the series, you've seen me as well. In fact, if you've been a part of the series, you've seen all of us as we've been interviewers in different episodes. My background is in architecture and worked in boutique and corporate firms such as SOM Chicago. And it turns out that there's a few other members from SOM Chicago who ended up coming into Monograph, including Robert, our CEO. So my very, very big mission at Monograph is to make it not only possible to survive as a professional in architecture, but to thrive and prosper. I talk with architects all the time. Our team here at Monograph is talking to, I, my rough count is probably 30 to 40 architects per day that we're talking with all across the industry as a full company, probably more than that. And there is just so much challenge that people are having every day as they recognize that really they're running a small business or a medium-sized business and everything that has to do with the operations of that. And everything that we do is to make that easier so you can continue to build the next version of the world and be successful as a result of that. Anyways, very excited to be talking about burnout today, which is, it just never stops coming up. There's all sorts of stuff to talk about with this, but yeah, so anyways, Usually don't have to introduce myself on this podcast, but yeah, I'm going to throw it over to Joanne. Awesome. Hi, everyone. I'm Joanne. I am a marketer here at Monograph. I also have an architect. I think all of us has an architecture background. I'm an architect. I have been working previously uh, as an architect for 10 years. My last position was at Gensler for six years, working as a project architect and manager there. So very excited to be talking about burnout today. It's one of my passion topics because <laughs> it's just such a hard, such a hard life that we live. So 
I will pass it on to Sylvia. Thanks, Joanne. I also have an education in architecture and did my undergrad and graduate degree at uh, University at Buffalo. Then I came back to New York City and worked here for about 11 years until very recently started a full-time position at Monograph. I wasn't exactly looking to leave the industry. It was more so that I love every like the team at Monograph and everything we're creating here. We're constantly talking about ideas and putting them into action, which I think is actually one of my favorite things about architecture in general. And I feel all that happening at Monograph every day. And actually, while reading the burnout report, on, I actually like resonated with a lot of things since I was working in my previous company until this past fall. So I'm excited to get into it. Let's go. Yeah, sometimes we see great talent in architecture and we have to bring them into Monograph and Solivia is a perfect example of that. So I think a good place to start is, Joanne, you and Jasmine worked together to kind of put this report out into the world. Why now? Like what kind of prompted it for you? I think I've always just wanted to talk about burnout and I was actually surprised there hasn't been one done inside of architecture. You see a lot of reports on workplace burnout, I guess, just in general, especially after the pandemic or even during the pandemic. I was surprised there hasn't been one done in architecture specific. So I just really wanted to do one just to see how everyone is doing and service this conversation up to the whole industry and keeping in mind that, especially right now, I think this year, a lot of firms are getting tons of work since we lost a lot of work during 2020. 2021, all the project kind of started coming back and they're crazy hiring people right now. And I wanted to kind of remind people that you're going to get a lot of work, but at the same time, still putting that like mental health and burnout issue that we've always had, even before the pandemic, just like keep that in mind and find solutions for it and not hopefully not fall back to where we were before the pandemic. Can you walk us through some of like the high level stats for those that might not have access necessarily to the the article at hand that were kind of compelling? Yeah. So we surveyed 255 architects and this was not surprising, but also staggering. I don't know. It's kind of crazy to see, but 96.9%, so 97% of the response is that said that they have experienced burnout in 2021. Most people said the pandemic didn't cause the burnout for them, but it made it worse, basically it increased the burnout for them. That was, I think, 90%. In terms of why people are burning out, The major cause of burnout for most architects, and I think we'll all agree, is working over time, working too much, having too much work to do. That was the number one cause. I think the number two was unrealistic deadlines and expectations. Uh, That was number three. Number two was, I was just actually surprised that this is so high, is inefficient workflows and processes, which shouldn't be surprising to us because we're at Monograph trying to (laughs) improve processes. And that has 64% of architects to set being inefficient in their workflow and processes cause burnout for them. And then the next one would be the unrealistic deadlines and expectations About 55% of them said lack of support or acknowledgement from leadership also caused burnout. 44% said that they feel disengaged from their job, so kind of lost their passion and motivation in the job that they have right now, which is another cause of burnout. 38% said there's a lack of growth within their firm, like they kind of don't feel like they know where to go and unclear about the career path. Yeah, I think that was the main main uh, results that we got. I mean, that's pretty crazy. I think that question around 
or the high number of people that talked about overtime and also inefficient processes, it's likely they kind of go hand in hand. And, and mm-hmm. probably a lot of this is seems like it's not about finger pointing, but ultimately like the responsibility of a lot of these environments does come down to management, right? And management faces its own pressures about being trying to run the business and keep it afloat, right? Because the reality is that management are people too. And nobody likes having to let go of people in any scenario, whether it's like, let's say, unforced in some instances, or something like a pandemic comes and like changes the equation of the whole trajectory of a firm and they have to reevaluate their resources. But at the same time, something that does keep coming up often in these conversations and I'm curious what other people here think too, is just like this, that there's just not enough focus organizationally around how to run an effective organization as opposed to like effective projects. I think so much of the conversations around projects and like, how can we deliver projects better, design really great things better and all this other stuff. But like, no one's really talking about the reality that as an example, an annual review is not the right cadence to be touching base with your employees in order to understand and provide career growth or guidance or like, it's just not period, full stop. So I'm curious what would you all have experienced too, from this perspective of maybe even sharing your own stories of burnout. On that point about having a organizational view versus a project project view. I had a great conversation earlier this week around, usually, you know, you want to be able to keep track of projects and keep track of, I keep coming around this for this count of 40 projects, because that's pretty typical in the, uh, depending on the volume, how fast you're moving through projects at the five to 20 scale. Like I talked to a firm today, six or seven people, but they're running 40 projects at a time. But an, another angle to this is your visibility over staff, especially when it's remote, but even when it's in the office, like your visibility over the workload of staff becomes more difficult to see, especially past 10. So it's not only about like where projects are relative to deadlines and you know who needs to be on them, but also about like the intensity or maybe the idleness of staff across those projects. I thought it was, we'll get into this more about the whole what I see is like a big trade-off between deadlines between clients and staff. But I've been having these recent conversations where visibility over staff, so you can, you know, it's, it's a role of the manager to balance out workload over time for staff so that depending on the firm, it may naturally occur to overload like full capacity of staff. You may not even realize that they're burning out because maybe you don't have a culture of checking in. You don't have a culture of even articulating the problem, just not even being aware or not conscientious publicly within the firm about that this is always a risk that we're trying to make sure it doesn't happen. Because yeah, by the time, depending on the personality of the person, by the time someone really feels comfortable to talk about it, it may be way too late. Yeah, I really agree with that. If I think back to like the times that I needed to speak up for myself because I was just like getting overwhelmed or really frustrated with what I was working on, it's usually when I was putting a lot of my time and effort into something. And then more often than not, there'd be a last minute change or like go back and redo or go back and like go to something we did previously, but then when we changed our minds. And if you think about it, it's like, is this the most effective way to be working towards something? And I think this is um, brought up in the report that like when we work on deadlines, we just have to work as quickly as possible to get as much done as possible, but we never take a step back and revisit the processes that led us there. And like, why are we working that way? I feel like so much of our time is just in production mode or getting meeting a deadline that we don't take a step back. We don't try to do better. We don't try to like revisit any issues that came along the way. It's just kind of doing what we did already because it worked in well enough. We got that we met the deadline. And I feel like that's something we do try to do. Like when I meet with George or like, and we talk about things, it's like, okay, well, what's the goal here? Like, so what are the necessary steps to get there? And then everything else is superfluous. And, you know, if it's waste time, then we don't need to do it at all, which I really appreciate. Yeah. I think like, even the idea of a retrospective, which we do here at Monograph every two weeks, more, like not tied to a specific 
deadline or project or anything. It's just more like a check-in for me uh, as like the, the manager to understand and get like a sort of a pulse or like a kind of tracking where the wind is going on the most pressing items that are top of mind for the team. And it's a very simple 30 minute meeting where we uh, use an online tool. You can use Miro or something like that to just like use post-it notes or something to catalog uh, somewhat uh, anonymously the challenges that you're, that are top of mind for you, the things that could be improved. And then we rank order them, we vote on them, and we focus on the rest of the remaining time on the things that are the most pressing. And that was something that I learned after working earlier in my career, working more embedded within engineering teams. Because software engineering teams are constantly thinking about process, constantly. Because for them, for whatever reason, historically, it's just been such a concentration on not doing duplicative work or trying to making trade-offs and thinking about things like technical debt and really just prioritization has been very different. And so learning that exercise, I've applied in different places in here as well. And it, I, I feel like as long as I'm committed to the team to making the change the following week, if it's something that's like very pressing and that's now my top priority for the following week to change, then at least like everyone feels like they're, that the, we're building it together, right? And I think that can surface up things like burnout sooner. I feel like little things like that, maybe if it was after a deadline, you have a retrospective, right? You celebrate that you completed the deadline. Then after you celebrate, you then sit down, do an exercise of having a retrospective of like what went wrong and how can we prevent that from happening again? I assure you that level of consciousness across the entire team will like improve like every subsequent project after that. And it's not even, you don't have to use monograph, you know, at the end of the day, like it's just a practice that you can do that can be improving. But yeah, Sylvia, I mean, I think those are the things that I also experienced too, having worked at firms like uh, in previous places where those deadlines changing, it's like, what's the reason for it? Why did we change it? Was it the client? How can we get the client approval even sooner or earlier, right? It's like all those things. But those, I think it's also, you kind of have to like, have very clear communication, like you said, having more one-on-ones, having that retrospective, I can't speak to retrospective is good, but it's also like, I think from the manager standpoint, you have to like talk, you have to observe your team members and see if their hours are overbooking if people staff them for 80 hours a week which has happened and because three different managers are not talking to each other they could just go in and put a bunch of hours on the person so as maybe managers need to communicate better between each other they need to talk to their team members and see if their workload is too much but at the same time the team member also needs to bring it up if they're overworked because a lot of time everyone's level of dealing with burnout is different what might burn you out is different than what might burn me out so some people can take more than others and I think you have to as a team member bring that up to the manager if you are feeling burnout if you think this is too much work for you and not be afraid to just keep taking on work because then you just get so tired and sick all the time, which I used to be sick all the time. <laughs> I haven't been sick at all much. So now it's much better. When I was working as an architect, I would, there was a whole year where I was so burned out because of this crazy project and crazy client that we had that I was working until midnight every single day, including the weekends. And every other week I had to call out for one day because I just had a huge headache. I was so sick because I was so tired and burned out. I couldn't get out of my bed to go to work. But I didn't really learn that I could just go to my boss and say, this is too much work for me. I just kept taking on work because when you're younger, you kind of, you're in this mindset of 
oh, I need to grow my career. I need to advance and I need to keep doing more and more and more. But just realizing that doing more work doesn't necessarily help you to grow in your career if you're just going to be sick all the time and tired and not being able to actually take control of your career. So, yeah. One of my favorite examples of what George was saying with the retrospective, this is my, to me, one of my favorite moments is where because of this practice that we had been doing, we started to observe where processes were taking a long time, consistently taking a long time, but we also have to accomplish more. So you already have to do this baseline of work, but we're here trying to grow things. And so you kind of get in this trap where it's like, well, we only have so much time to do stuff. How can we do this? Right. And what emerged from this is there's two major inputs that you have as a professional. Almost everyone thinks that it's only one, which is labor, but there's labor and capital. There's labor and money, right? So sometimes making the right decisions about where to spend money plus labor to open up new tools or to bring on new support, new hire in new, either whether it be freelancer, contractor, consultant, or full-time hire. When we had these retrospectives, we realized that, well, what if we thought more strategically about budget, each of us, right? So we can make a case for budget, make a case to add a multiplier on our work, on our labor itself. Uh, and I thought that that was such a breakthrough. And especially when you think about maybe people who on the team, in your team, in your company, who you've never had a conversation with them about being a professional buyer, about some tool that they're familiar with, or they've heard about that could multiply their work. So you could put a 1.5X multiplier, 2X multiplier. Like right now, for example, I'm working, I'm a professional buyer for a tool that could potentially 8X the daily output of each team member. And I'm working through with other parts of the company on how we set this tool into motion so we can dramatically increase the value that each team member can be making on a daily basis. And I, I would say like, just to reflect, do you in your firm right now, or are you aware if the people who are working under you and your team, have they ever made a professional buying decision that has added value beyond just their own individual work? I would say that's a great starting point to alleviate some of that process burden that we've seen in this report as being a great source of burnout. Yeah, I, th I think for context for everyone that may not be aware, Monograph operates on a four-day work week. So if you add the ambition that this team has, and then you have to compress that ambition within four days out of the week when you traditionally had five, you could imagine that the impetus on tools and technology is critical here where like it's automation is such a huge topic. When we think about any kind of initiative that we're running, we think about it from a end-to-end -end first. Okay, what's the manual way of doing this first? So we understand it. And then immediately after the conversation, you know, it transitions to, okay, great. You've been able to do this thing from like beginning to end, you stood it up. Now, how are you gonna move it off your plate is the immediate thing next. So like, now it changes this position of being an individual contributor to being an owner of, a pro, of an initiative, because then you have to stop thinking about it from like, oh, I have these tasks that I have to accomplish to now being like, oh, I have to think critically about what I'm doing here. And I need to figure out what tools are available for me to like, not have to do this anymore because we've identified it to be something that we want to continue to do, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the person who stood it up has to be the one that does it again. And it allows us to then do way more. And I mean, in general, the various types of programs that we run, there is some component of like finding partners that can work with us to kind of handle on some of those things. So we can, we can keep our ambition very high and tackle larger things. And I'm very curious, actually going back to Joanne and Sylvia, and the, like, since you're the, the most, the more recent people that have come from directly from the industry on the team, what would you say about like 
Joanne, especially you, you kind of mentioned a little bit about like this idea that you might have multiple managers that assign you on to different projects, right? And so it's a kind of one-to-many relationship where you have multiple people kind of negotiating for you. One thing that kind of stood out when you said that was this is that you don't have someone advocating for you. There's, you don't actually have a manager in the sense that you don't report to someone directly who is trying to advocate for your time and your everything, right? They're kind of like your, your champion in some regards, but they're also your kind of, you know, for lack of a better word, your mentor, which I think there's actually a lot of parallels here between the continuous conversation around mentorship and whether that's like, you know, I saw a survey by NCARB asking like, should we be doing more for about mentorship? And it's like, in Monograph, there's no concept of necessarily mentorship because ultimately it's my responsibility to be the mentor, right? Because there's a direct line of reporting to me. And so I feel like a lot of these issues also comes down to just the way these organizations are designed, that they're, they've kind of have, have optimized so much for project delivery and the use of people as like time that they've abdicated responsibility to those people as like employees and like team members and all that. It's heavy, but what's, what, what would you say, uh, Joanne? Yeah, I think at least where I was working, we would have, I actually really like this, that they implemented this, I think of probably three, four years ago is we have a coach, which is actually just a mentor that are either in director or principal level that would basically be our advocate with the, that person. We will meet with them every quarter, I believe. Uh, we'll have like a lunch with them. We'll talk about what our goals are, what the problems are. And at our like promotion review or any discussion about race or promotion or performance review in the leadership level, they that person, like my coach, will be present there when they're talking about me to be my advocate in the leadership level. So I think that's one way you could do it if you have multiple managers that are like overseeing one person and that person doesn't know who they should talk to about their own personal growth. Definitely, you should have one person that that person is direct report to so they know who they should talk to whenever there is an issue and as far as I think the problem with having too many managers overseeing one like using one person time is again they can staff them for 80 hours a week and no one would know other than the person that's being staffed and that's why we have tools like monograph that you can go in and everyone can see what that person time is for that week, for that month. I think that level of transparency is important for in that particular situation where you have more than one manager, which would always happen because your firms will always have multiple projects that have multiple project managers that might be using one, the same person and having transparency of how that person's time is being allocated every week is very important to make sure they're not overworked and um, not working so much over time. We actually have a great question. We have some great comments coming in. I, we have a couple of great questions coming in from the audience and Eric. If you can raise your hand or at least let us know in the chat if you want to come up. Let us know if you want to ask your question. No pressure. All right, Eric might be busy. So basically, Eric's question was, when was the moment that you realized you were reaching burnout? And what did you do to mitigate the symptoms that were causing that burnout? I think when I just typically, from my own experience, you just start feeling really tired and you just get sick all the time. <laughs> and for me, I think everyone is different. For me, I would get a huge headache and in the morning and I would just not be able to get out of bed. But also you will start kind of 
ignoring everything around you, like your friends, your family, because you just don't have time to talk to them. And that's just because you're so focused on finishing your your deadlines and your projects and you don't have time for anyone else in your life that are actually important or doing anything that actually makes you happy. <laughs> I think those things are when I realize that I feel burnout and especially when I got migraine, I have like a history of getting migraine when I'm burned out. <laughs> so whenever I'm getting migraine, I'll talk to my boss. Like, I think this is too much work for me and I can't take on anymore. So I think it depends on the person. So I'll let others share their experience. I feel like you also know when you're, you're getting overwhelmed with your work when all you do is work and like the rest of your life kind of just falls apart. Like your house is a mess. Like you just like, you're in such a zone, like all day that like at the end of the day, you can't think. I remember like very early in my career, I think I was just like getting really close to like, we were like making a lot of changes last minute. And I was like, I could not look at light fixtures anymore because I was looking at them all day. And like, when I would go home, I would see like all these sconces and they would just be like reminders of what I had to deal with all day and like troubleshoot. And like, oh, I remember this from architecture school, even like you couldn't look at buildings because you were just like, they were just like causing you so much like stress. So I feel like work-life balance just like goes out the window when you have a deadline coming up. And that's really unfortunate because it's not sustainable. But I think it's also because like the standards are so high for what we ourselves hold ourselves to that we want to submit a good project or we want to make sure we catch everything before it goes out. And I think like, it's just, I don't know. I haven't really been on a very, more often than not, it's not like always a well-paced project where we catch everything and submit everything early. Sometimes it happens, but I think it also is very dependent on the manager. Like they ensure that like pencils down at a certain point so that we get all the steps in. I will say that when I came to Monograph, when I switched, I did take some of that like architecture life mentality with me that like I thought I could just work more to get ahead or get things done. And I realized like from working through things that that's not the way to do it. Um, One of my favorite quotes, it came from Section Cut with uh, Tom Jacobs, is that time is not a renewable resource. And that's totally the way I was working before, where if I just put more time into this, I could get a better result or I could get more work done. Like I could just cram it in all and get a good amount of work done, but that's not the way to do it. And I realize that now. Yeah, actually you brought up a school and Veronica, I'm curious, Veronica, if you want to jump on and share your question, but you can raise your hand. I'll definitely know here and I can bring you on board. Oh, great. Sweet. sweet. Here we go. Hey, Veronica, you're on. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. So, yeah. Uh, I, yes. Yeah. Your, your comment uh, about education. Do you want to kind of uh, talk about that? Yeah, sure. It's one of the issues I'm more passionate about. Also, because I'm quite experienced. I'm now 50 years old and I've been in many offices and working as an architect. So, and I've seen it all. I've seen very small practices and I've seen huge practices. I mean, huge. I've been working in an office with 200 people. I'm Italian. I'm in Lisbon at the moment in Portugal, but I've been working in the Netherlands and France. So I have some experience and I've noticed that this, um, I call it masochism, this kind of, we have to show how much we are dedicated and we work overtime. And we don't want to hear about organization or efficiency. I'm a rather organized person. I've always been. And I always had to fight myself through the years with managers, with colleagues that didn't want to have it. They didn't want to talk about how to make processes more efficient. Why changing deadlines? Why changing meetings? Why having meetings at 7 o'clock in the afternoon, at 8 o'clock in the afternoon? And I just didn't see the point, uh, but they didn't really share my point of view. And so um, through the years, I mean, we have this model that we were taught at university of uh, long nights uh, and of uh, how being passionate uh, makes you the, um, I don't know, the uh, noticed maybe uh, by the professors or by your colleagues. And it's just a habit. It's a cultural habit. uh, And we are all a bit victims of that uh, and at any scale and at any, in, 
in any country, I would say at this point. Yeah, in academia, I feel like there's this this kind of survivorship bias mentality, right? You only hear the success stories. And so then what are the patterns of those success stories? Oftentimes, it's like this idea of the martyrdom behind it. And even the most popular books, you know, one of the most popular books that came out was Small, Medium, Large, Extra, Large. And a lot of it talks about the same struggle, right? And so when you have one of the most popular books in entire architecture culture kind of sitting on everyone's desk, it's actually propping up my camera here. It doesn't necessarily advocate about it. It just kind of says, this is how it is. Oh, and by the way, like, this is how Rem Kulhas and the Office of Metropolitan Architecture operates. I think that ends up being part of like the underlying narrative. It, it yeah. just creates a belief structure that everyone kind of buys into. I think I'm sure everyone here on the call can attest to that, but like it's something that I recognize that I absolutely fell into it as well. I really thought that like I was classic, took all nighters as a badge of honor, right? As a kind of pride point. It was like, oh, I'm, I'm this is how resilient I am in a sense. When really I was not efficient at all with my time. And I had friends that were doing really well that would go home and sleep <laughs> and they did really well for themselves, but I really thought of it something else. And yeah, I think it's a story that we need to sort of stop telling. And I, I would really love to see more conversations in academia move away, move more into less this kind of like promoting masochistic narratives in a sense, and really promoting ownership mentality that like you actually should be in control of your own productivity you should be in control of like the outcomes. And I think part of it too, is that academia can be so open-ended sometimes, like professors aren't even the best examples of this either. Like a lot of professors aren't the best examples of time management, but if there were a culture of actually kind of working back, like figuring out at the end of the day, hey, for finals, it's not so much about you need to X, you have to check all these boxes of drawings, but it's like, you need to articulate your idea really well. And as a professor, helping you articulate that from the beginning, so you work backwards from where you think the product's going to be. I don't know. It's like all these things that if you train students to think that way early, it doesn't mean they have to be less ambitious later or like dream new forms or dream new material, whatever. It just means that they're savvier about knowing when like, hey, this is kind of like not worth it anymore. Like the 80% more time that I'm going to apply to like 20% better outcome is not going to really matter. I think those frameworks are things that people need to really be trained on. But yeah, Veronica, I feel like, I mean, I'm, I'm curious from your own experiences too, do you feel like having worked in so many different countries, it seems like it's pervasive, right? It doesn't even matter. Like it's not even a cultural thing to say like one certain country operates a different way than another. It's pervasive. I think it's really a professional issue. I mean, I've been working in international offices and with many, uh, with colleagues from many backgrounds and many countries, and they all share this uh, masochism and seeing this as a badge of honor. I have to say that in my experience, I've learned the most while working in the Netherlands, because culturally in the Netherlands, there is a pragmatism that goes a little bit beyond. And I've learned a lot from my Dutch colleagues uh, that at five o'clock in the afternoon would just leave the office. And I remember one of my colleagues leaving at five o'clock and uh, the project leader running after him. What are you doing? We have a deadline tomorrow. And my colleague saying it's five o'clock. I've been working eight hours. If uh, the work is not finished, it's because the project was not managed and organized properly. It's not because I have to put more time in it. And he went. And for me, it just opened a whole new world of possibilities, but it taught me a lot and I've always cherished this. But I'm very, very, very surprised and a bit disappointed that after many years, I remember having this conversation at university and it was like now almost 30 years ago. And I'm really surprised that still now in universities and I've been working also here in Lisbon with some professors this issue of having even classes uh, with the time management as a gamifying time management. I think it can be so interesting uh, how to make the right choices when you don't have a lot of time, but you have these eight hours a day and the client and the advisors. And I mean, it's actually, it's, it's what I love best. Uh, I really like best of my work, uh, trying to prioritize and strategize, which is what architects do. We strategize. 
And still, it's not taken further and it's not really proposed in academia, exactly. And I don't have an answer why it's not, because uh, uh, it can be so powerful. Yeah, I, I feel like when you said strategy, it's just, it just kind of really struck me how there's so much strategy going into the work, but not on how to do the work. Yeah, exactly. We, we do it. We are architects. We plan. We should manage to plan how we work as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think very much about, and Sylvia, who I've worked very closely with, can speak to this way of thinking too. But when you're doing work, and what I really believe is that everything repeats in business is just at different time scales. Not everything you do needs to happen. <laughs> it's such a crazy thing. You know, if you can find ways to remove steps so you can make space for new steps. And the only way to really know what to do is to be very considerate of your inputs and the resulting outputs and where you can tinker so that you're making room for change to happen. A thing that surprises me is in architecture, there's, I think it does come from academia. There's, there's a ton of almost like there's a big celebration of new every single time, like start from scratch every single time no pattern in our work whatsoever. It's always different. And that poses a really big risk where you can't learn, you can't take the parts of your work that are repetitive and optimize them and make them smarter. But I would say like the more that you reflect on the steps and how they relate to an output, like inputs and outputs and all the steps and how pieces can be removed and swapped out or tinkered with to generate a better outcome, a, a more significant outcome. I also think too about some of the most impressive people I ever saw in school were those who were so systematic in their iteration. I remember thinking every year I would think like the most important lesson is just rediscovering iteration is the critical mechanism of evolution and design. And there would be times when myself as a designer or I'd see others who reflect on having poorly managed time, they would talk about how they hadn't made progress because they kind of imagined the result without doing just the work of like trying the next iteration systematically. And I, I'm just thinking about a few people I've from when I was in school who they were so good at time management, not only in terms of creating boundaries, but they were so good at iterating almost like a machine, you know, themselves like a machine. And their project would improve systematically improve so well i think there's two interesting thoughts there like being more systematic and observing yourself working so that you can swap out the steps that don't matter tinker and put create new room for smarter steps to come in that can generate a much more meaningful outcome we also have some questions too uh, some additional questions from the audience on uh and i think i'd be curious to hear from sylvia and Joanne on this one too. What activities non-design related did you participate in to give you a break from the stressors of daily life, of daily workload? Was there anything that you would kind of go back to kind of help you sort of escape in a sense? For me, simple things like just going outside and taking a walk really helps. I, this actually remind me, I had a conversation with a manager when I was at Gensler and she's like the happiest person I've ever met. She's always smiling, always really happy, always really relaxed. Even if we're in the crazy deadlines and she would manage this super complicated, complex project. And we got into a conversation and she basically was, she was saying like, just go eat a donut or <laughs> go have a burger, I don't know, go to lunch, go out for lunch. We were talking about lunch and she was like... So, so food, food, food is the food. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was, we were talking about how we always sit at our desk to eat lunch because we're working so much and we don't go outside to have lunch. We don't take a lunch break. And she said, just go out and have lunch and go eat a donut. I don't know why it was donut at that time, but we have a history of eating donuts in architecture, I think. And she said something like, deadlines are always going to happen. It's going to come every single week, every single month. You're going to have a deadline and 
you know that from working for, I don't know, 10 years now, you know that they're always going to be completed one way or the other. You and your team will always finish the project. Things are always going to move forward. It's not like if you don't meet a deadline, it's really the end of the world. Like no one is really going to die. That's why she was always so relaxed. It's because she has so much experience that she constantly reminds herself that things are going to get done no matter what. And me sitting at my desk to eat lunch is doesn't make that much bigger of an impact in the work being completed. It's taking a 30 minute, an hour lunch isn't in the grand scheme of thing in a project that takes five years to complete isn't really that much more work that you can do, especially if you're burned out and you're tired. So I think just doing things that normal people would do, going out to get lunch, going out to eat and taking a walk. For me, I do, I try to do yoga and exercise and that really helped. When I was a cancer, I actually started going to the gym across the street every day at lunchtime. And we slowly started like a gym club of people that would go to the gym at lunchtime, like secretly, but it wasn't a secret anymore because all our bosses know that we all go to the gym at lunch. And they actually encouraged it. They were like, you should get more people to go to the gym at lunch because it's like, it's great. You exercise, you eat a little bit of food and then you come back to work and you feel much more energized. So I think just taking the time taking a break for yourself is is really important. How about you, Sylvia? I will say that honestly, I'm still trying to figure out what work-life balance looks like. I mean, it's much easier now at Monograph. We have a day off and people respect it, but kind of touching upon what Joanne said, I think if you're in a position where you manage people, the culture you set is so important. So really take that upon yourself to give the people you work with and employees space to speak up and also take time for themselves and have a work-life balance. There's so many topics and tangents I kind of want to like go off on, but I do want to say that one of the comments is, is there a community group or safe space where architects can go to to have conversations like burnout in greater depth? And I'm responsible for the best practice community that Monograph has created. And I will say that's something that I will definitely start. I also want to respond to all these questions in further, like at a further date. And we can do that in the community. So I'll put a link in the chat. I'll also follow up after this, but I really want to create that space. Actually, I think that support group is actually a really helpful way to handle burnout. I think when you find people that you get along with well, have shared experiences, and then can openly and honestly share about what you're going through and like the things that aren't so great. I think that was the best part, like finding those people that I worked with that I could relate to so easily and just share about like the frustrations and also like just wacky stuff that we enjoy. I think that was really helpful, like finding my people. So I think we can also create that in the group. Me and George were talking about continuing these kind of roundtable conversations in the community. So I think we had a really good turnout today, really great conversation that I'm thoroughly enjoying. So definitely we'll continue that. And yeah, we can create that community. Yeah. I also think that there's something about like burnout as a topic is a kind of like end result of a whole series of other things that are happening ahead of it. It's kind of like the, the answer to a longer equation where each of those variables is partly the person who's, it's, it's like in, like what the person who's experiencing burnout can control times what they can control times what their manager or no manager can control. And so being able to step back and identify and with other people, like what are those things that are actually in your control? Like how you can have a healthier mindset in a sense by exercising, eating right, and all these other things that also impact your reception to stress too, right? That's one thing. And then the other part is like, how can you nudge if you work at a place that doesn't really advocate for employees in the sense, like what's in your control to help change that environment and being able to identify that. And ultimately maybe the one change that needs to happen is where you work. And some places have exit interviews, some places don't. 
Some places are only going to recognize it much later when their firm is not in a very good financial position anymore because no one wants to work there. But that is one other way in which you can take control over your mental health as well. It's by going someplace where that kind of has a better perspective on their employees and things like that. That's always an option, especially now, today. Everyone's hiring. Like this is everyone kind of over indexed on letting go people. I think in the in not really thinking about the how long we might get back to normal, you know, because it was unknown, obviously. But now it's we're in a situation where like everyone is looking for talented individuals. And from our conversations every week, we're getting the hint that I think people are also recognizing culture needs to change as well from leadership as well. So and Chris posted a link in the, the chat of uh, job openings that are <laughs> open here. Full circle. We try to really like make sure it's a one-stop shop <laughs> for like uh, what you need here. But, you know, I think we're at time. I just want to thank everybody that participated in the conversation mm-hmm. through the questions being asked, through the commentary in the chat, Eric, Sari, anonymous attendee, whoever and wherever you are. Thank you so much for contributing. Veronica, thanks for jumping on and sharing your own experiences as well. And yeah, I just want to thank the rest of the team here for jumping on this unique conversation and Joanne and Jasmine for such an amazing report that uh, hopefully you all share with your leadership and your colleagues as well. Drive more conversation. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. We want to do more of these roundtable talks. We got a recommendation to talk about leadership next. We've heard people ask to talk about mentorship as well. Send me an email or Sylvia or Joanne or George. It's just our first name at monograph.com. Let us know what we should talk about. We want to open this up as a new format. In addition to the fireside chats that we normally do on Thursday, we had an incredible guest who had to reschedule the last minute today. They will be coming back soon. You'll be very excited to find out who it is. So till next week, everybody, we've got Lara Engineers next week, who's going to be a really interesting conversation between their head of marketing there, our marketing director there, who is building new opportunities for each principal. And it's going to be a great talk for anybody who is interested in building out more business for your firm. So see you next Thursday. Hey, it's Sylvia from Monograph. Thank you so much for joining us here. At Monograph, we're building the number one practice operations platform for small to mid-sized architecture firms. Monograph is designed for architects by architects. Over 450 practices are using Monograph today to run the business side of architecture. You can start a free trial or sign up for a demo today at monograph.com. Find out what a practice operations platform like Monograph can do for your firm. Get started at monograph.com. Talk to you soon.